Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. You're listening to part two of um, the episode about my nightmare teaching experiences. In part one, which you might want to listen to first before listening to this one, uh, I talk all about um, teaching English and what it's really like from the teacher's point of view, including all the different aspects and factors that make a really good class or what can happen sometimes when your classes go wrong. And really, that's what I'm talking about here. Now, um, I'm going to share uh, three more stories about uh, difficult experiences that I've had as an English teacher. In the previous episode, I gave you two stories. So, two or three stories? I can't remember. Anyway, I'm just going to share some hopefully interesting stories about uh, bad teaching experiences with you. And um, also, uh, listen carefully because I use various idioms uh, during uh, this episode and the previous one, and I'll be dealing with those idioms um, probably in the next episode. So I'm now going to hand you over to me, uh, but me from earlier on uh, this evening, uh, and you can then listen to uh, the rest of the episode. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Right, so the third uh, experience I'm going to share with you is called the whiteboard, okay? Just the whiteboard. So um, once upon a time, I used to teach English in an old building in Waterloo in London, and it was actually a very smelly old Victorian women's hospital. It used to be uh, a women's hospital during the Victorian times. This old, old, slightly mysterious building near the River Thames. It had great views from the windows, uh, but it felt like the place was just falling apart. Um, it had these old stained carpets and, in some cases, mould on the walls. Um, there was often a kind of a bad smell, like a musty old smell in the classrooms. I remember once teaching and uh, one of my students, this German guy, came into the classroom and he just announced, it stinks in here, it, it just stinks. And the fact is he was right, but it never really created a very good atmosphere. It's never good when one of your students enters a classroom in the morning and just announces, it stinks in here. It's never really a good uh, beginning to a day. Um, but he was right, it did stink. It was kind of smelly old place. Also, it was never bright. Um, I worked there for one year, including two sweaty summers and one long, cold winter. Sometimes the lights would just flicker and then just die, leaving us all in murky darkness. And it's never a good start when the students in the class can't really see the teacher, each other or the board. Some of the students lived in the building and they hated it. Lots of things seemed to go wrong for me in that place. I remember once telling my students some ghost stories about London and about that building in particular. I thought it was just a bit of light relief. 
a nice break from doing IELTS practice tests. The next day, I saw one of the girls from that class in the corridor in tears. Her friends told me that she was so freaked out by my ghost stories that she couldn't live in the building anymore. On Friday, I saw her hurrying away from the place with a large suitcase. It was all my fault. One day I was teaching and the whiteboard just fell off the wall. I was teaching something at the board, writing, and the whole thing just dropped off the wall and the corner hit the floor very loudly and made a dent in the floor. It made a very loud noise and the students jumped, except for one sleepy Japanese guy who wouldn't have jumped if I'd stuck 20,000 volts through him and sometimes I was tempted. But the others kind of jumped a lot. I just propped the board on the wall and carried on. I couldn't really complain a lot about it, although I was understandably pretty angry and surprised. I couldn't complain about it, though, because complaining about it would have been unprofessional. So I just propped it up against the wall and we kept going. The next day, we came back to class and the whiteboard was gone, leaving an empty space on the wall where the wall paint was all fresh and still glossy from when it had been applied all those years ago. So I didn't have a whiteboard at all, nothing. I'd planned some whiteboard work and I had my pens, so I decided, well, I'll just write on the wall where the board had been. I was pretty pissed off that I had no whiteboard, so I just thought, what the hell? And I wrote directly on the wall. The students found it pretty funny and it gave a kind of ridiculous edge to proceedings, which I find often helps somehow. The thing is, the wall was actually much better as a whiteboard than the old scratched whiteboard had been. The old one wasn't even a whiteboard anymore. It was so dirty and scratched. It was more like a grey board. So for about three days, I happily wrote on the wall. The writing rubbed off nicely because it was a glossy surface. In the end, the grey board appeared back again and it was business as usual. It was a pretty cool class in the end, although I had to compensate for the crappy resources. The, the CD player always skipped, the lights flickered, the tables and chairs rocked. The students had to sit in these chairs which had these little mini tables on the side. And the tables were tiny, and so people's books and notes would fall on the floor all the time. These things don't really help, and they can screw, they can screw you up if you're not prepared for it. These are all standard problems which we should always be ready for. What I learned from this is that we should use mishaps in our classes to our advantage. They can, be, they can become funny moments. Ultimately, your aim is to continue teaching and not stand around complaining about facilities while the students do nothing. Stay professional at all times. That doesn't mean formal and strict but just keeping in mind that you mustn't waste any of the students' precious time. The lesson must go on. Also, never assume that the facilities will be right. Be prepared, for, be prepared for facilities not to work or not to be available. Learn to teach without relying on too many other things. The fourth experience um, is called teaching in a cupboard. That's right, teaching in a cupboard. So let's see. This is when I worked on a school. Uh, this is when I worked for a school on Oxford Street. That's right, Ox the famous Oxford Street in London. 
And uh, it was a very busy time at the school. In fact, the school was completely full. And I had kind of a smallish class. I had about five people. And so my manager said, look, Luke, you'll, you'll have to teach in the computer room. Um, now, this is not as cool as you'd expect. So it was a computer room, but it wasn't like some high-tech, uh, you know, it wasn't like some high-tech computer laboratory. It was basically just a little cupboard. And to exacerbate things, there was kind of like this bar counter thing going around the room with computers on it. So um, it was like a table that was attached to the wall running around the, uh, running around the room. And the computers were on this. And this greatly reduced the space in the room. So all our chairs were right against the bar. So the, the backs of our chairs were against the, this bar with all the computers on it. And we'd all sit there with our knees banging together. It was definitely an intensive general English course. Uh, it was very intense because like none of us could actually move. We're all staring at each other right in the eyeballs. The whiteboard was right behind me, leaning against the back of the door. So I had to write with my arm all twisted up over my shoulder. And whenever anyone wanted to come in, they'd open the door and the whiteboard would hit me on the back of the head. This happened a lot, of course, because, as I said, this was the computer room. So people were constantly trying to get into this room during break times to check their emails. This is before we, ha we all had smartphones. So they would constantly be trying to come in and they'd push the door open. The whiteboard would hit me on the back of the head, even though there was a note on the door. The note said, you know, please do not come in, computer room closed. They would still come in, even though there was a note on the door. In fact, in my experience, in language schools, people just completely ignore notices or notes. Notes or notices are invisible in language schools, as are the engaged signs on toilets. In every single language school I've worked in, people have ignored the red engaged sign on a toilet door. Why is it that learners of English have to check that the toilet is occupied by trying to open the door? Like, if the sign is red, why would you try to open the door? Because if the door opens, you're just going to walk into someone with their trousers down. So if the sign is red, don't try to open the door. Um, also, whenever students were late in this class, they had to kind of climb over the other students in order to get a seat. It was very awkward and very weird indeed. What did I learn from this? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure really what I learned from it. I think I just learned not to take life too seriously. Um, right, the next experience I'm going to tell you about, and in fact I've got six experiences, not five. So this is experience number five. Um, and this one is uh, all about teaching kids in Japan. So this was pretty early in my career. Um, this is when I was in Japan teaching mainly, mainly adults but the school wanted me to teach kids too, and I thought it might be another string to my bow, so I agreed to take the training and learn how to teach children. During the training, I was just very sleepy and I couldn't concentrate. As a result, I just learned nothing. I don't remember anything from the course uh, on uh, teaching children that I took. I've already talked about the tight schedule of teaching that I had uh, in Japan. I often had just 10 minutes to finish teaching one class, complete notes, get down two floors of stairs to begin teaching the kids class. 
The general scene with those kids' classes was that there was a small room with a glass door so the parents could observe everything going on in the class. The parents, who generally were all housewives, would bring the kids and then watch the lesson through the window. I had uh, about, let's see, I had uh, about eight kids and they were between three and six years old in one class. And that's that's kind of difficult because... There's a big difference between a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I mean, that's a massive difference. Um, First of all, it was very difficult to get them into the room to get the lesson started. They would either be crying or just going mental. And I, I, like, managed to get... There there was this routine at the door. So they would line up at the door. How... The way it was supposed to work is that they would line up at the door, they would knock on the door, and I would say, Hello... Uh, what's your name? And then they'd say their name. And I'd say, would you like to come in? And they'd say, yes, please. And I'd say, okay, you can come in. And they would say, thank you. They'd come into the room, sit down, and then wait for the others to come in. And when they're all there, we would start. But what would happen is, usually I would say, hello, what's your name? And the first kid would just run into the room. Fine, okay. And I'd think, okay, at least he's in the room. The next one would run into the room too. Then there'd be like one or two who were just like really, really upset, just really scared to come into the classroom, holding onto their mum's leg and just crying. And I'm like there trying to be nice, you know, hello, what's your name? And I'm just, I'm, I must look like some kind of horrendous, big nosed, gangly, white skinned monster with weird coloured eyes, you know, <laughs> hello, what's your name? They must have been scared to death of me at the beginning. And eventually I'd get them into the room, but by the time I got the shy ones in, the the other ones would just be going completely insane. And basically the kids would crawl all over me. I was like a human climbing frame. They would be all crawling all over me. Once um, they covered me in crayon. So we had these crayons that we used to use to do colouring in their books, and they just decided they would colour my shirt with crayon. So they just crayoned me all over I couldn't stop them. It was like I was being attacked by this gang of kids. Like, no! And they crayoned me. Um, For some reason, just my presence there, just my being there, seemed to drive them into some kind of frenzy. They were completely different with the other teachers. Um, But So I had to just conclude that I had some kind of mad energy which they could sense and which just drove them crazy. They'd be doing things like tearing posters off the walls. Just, you know, I'd turn around and there'd be one of them just pulling a poster off a wall. They'd be climbing onto the counter and throwing things everywhere. Once I just caught one kid just spitting on a wall. He was just in the corner spitting onto the wall. I was busy trying to deal with some of the kids, you know, in one side of the room. And I looked over and he was just just spitting on the walls. Like, dude, what are you doing? They would open the cupboard and just start grabbing things and chucking it all out of the window, right? And um, all the time, at least one of them would just be stuck to me, like either holding my hand or holding my leg, you know, just glued to me. One kid who was a really sweet kid called Dan just couldn't hear me. Honestly, it was like he couldn't hear my voice. He would be off on his own, in his own world, in another corner of the room, and I would call him back, like, Dan, 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 like that. And we would all, 
I would be sitting in a circle with the other kids, you know, I'd manage to get them to sit down peacefully, but Dan would just be off in his own world. So I'd be going, Dan, 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 like that. And, um, and then the other kids would start joining in and then we'd all just be going, Dan, 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 like that. And uh, eventually he learned that in English, his name was Dan, right? So I would say to him, what's your name? And he'd say, my name is Dan. Apparently the family went on holiday once and a foreigner, probably an American, said to him, hello there, what's your name? And he said, my name is Dan. The parents apparently were over the moon because he actually spoke some English. So I learned with these kids, I learned to distract their attention with cards and it all became about cards and races and lots of repetition. Sometimes I would be quite I'd be quite impressed and in all the madness I'd catch them engaging in small bits of English. For example, it's mine, which they would often pronounce as ichimai, which is actually a Japanese word. Ichimai, which is like two times, I think. So they would be saying it's mine, but they'd be going ichimai. Okay. Um, so in fact, I would teach them it's mine. Like I'd have name cards and I'd say, whose is this? And they'd have to say, it's mine. So that when I said, it's mine, they, they thought I was speaking Japanese. They thought I was saying, ichimai. Just ridiculous. I wonder if it helped their English at all, my being there. So they would say, ichimai, uh, all the time. One day, we were joined by another kid, a new kid called Ritomo. And I'm never going to forget Ritomo. Actually, I genuinely think he had behavioural issues. He had problems. He was incredibly hyper and aggressive. So I'd managed to get them all sitting in a circle quite peacefully, but Ritomo was like a time bomb. In fact, I could see him just building up, you know, building up and building up, until eventually he would explode and just start reaching across, grabbing at the faces of the other kids and kicking the other kids, and eventually just running around the room like the Tasmanian devil. Once he just grabbed all the cards that I was using and legged it out of the classroom into the stairwell and just chucked all the cards down the stairwell. So after contending with all this, I would usually be completely boiling hot and very uncomfortable, sometimes covered in crayon or even worse, child saliva on my t-shirt, on my shirt. And then I'd have to run upstairs and go straight into a lesson with some salary men and I'd have to sit there sweating and wiping off the saliva from my shirt while teaching all these serious guys. Ultimately, it was very touching teaching these kids. I didn't realise how they'd become attached to me. When they understood that I was leaving Japan, there were tears. One kid, a four-year-old called Ryo, came to school, but he wouldn't come into class because he was too upset about me leaving he really wanted to say goodbye to me, but he couldn't do it. Instead, he just hid under a chair, crying. One of the other kids wouldn't let me go and grabbed onto my leg. They were adorable, but only when it was time for me to leave. For some reason, they all became adorable at the end. During the, the time I was there teaching them, they were a nightmare, but then when it was time for me to leave, they all suddenly became fantastic. Strange, isn't it? Um, oh, I suppose I should say what I learned from that experience. Well, teaching children is a completely different kettle of fish. It's a completely different thing. Um, 
And a lot of it's about repetition. So you just repeat the same things again and again with slight changes. So lots of routine, lots of repetition, um, and kind of establishing very clear boundaries, no ambiguity at all, because they will take advantage of that. I mean, the psychology of children is, is fascinating and kind of frightening as well, because it just shows that when I eventually have children of my own, my goodness, it's going to be a complicated experience. I know that much. Um, so I guess I learned a few things about um, the psychology of teaching children. Any of you out there who've got kids or teach kids will know what I mean. But um, it's a really different thing. I don't teach children anymore. I just found it was too horrible an experience for me to repeat. Um, I wonder if you've got kids. If you do, leave a comment and just tell us what kinds of things do you find work? Do you find that it's like me, just doing lots of repetition? And also distracting their attention is often a, something you have to do. So they might be completely obsessed with one thing. And it's just a case of kind of like... Oh, look at this. This is amazing. And you, you kind of distract their attention away from the thing that you don't want them to do. Okay, so finally, I'm going to uh, share with you my sixth experience in this episode. Um, and um, I'm glad that you're still listening, because this is probably the worst experience that I ever had as an English language teacher. So okay, let's begin. So this is probably the, the class that I remember being the most difficult. There have been others, but this one stuck in my mind. I wonder if anyone listening to this was even in that class. For me, it was not nice, but I don't know how it was for them in the end. Sometimes you just don't know what your students are thinking. I've had classes in which I was convinced that everything was awful, and then it turned out that they were all happy. And the other way round, I've been rudely awakened by some comment that a student doesn't like her classmates, even though she happily interacts with them all day long. You just never know sometimes. But in this class, I knew pretty quickly that it was going to be difficult. As a teacher, you start to learn to read certain signs about a class. Some things just let you know what some things just let you know that it's going to be one of those classes. I mentioned some things above. A lot of these things happened in this class. So this experience is basically a story of hubris, which means when you have an arrogantly enlarged sense of self-confidence, which causes you to believe that you can't fail, but then you do. Hubris. It comes from ancient Greek mythology. So what happened basically was that I did one difficult course and I did it very well. And then because of that, because of my success, I assumed that I would be great in the next course too, but I was wrong, and it was a total nightmare. Perhaps it was not all due to me. In fact, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, as I'm about to explain, but still, I look back on it as a difficult experience, which I now wish I'd done differently, but from which I've learned a lot. So, what happened, I hear you ask? Well, it was two weeks before Christmas, in the middle of a cold, dark winter. I'd just finished teaching a one-week class of, ex of executive business people. This was a very important class, and I had been stressed out about it beforehand, but stressed in a good way because I prepared myself fully for the lessons by checking the backgrounds of the students I had, looking at their needs and preferences for learning English, checking their professions carefully, and then selecting a 30-hour course which covered all the things they needed. 
I spent lots of time preparing and photocopying material and generally psyching myself up. I dressed nicely and all that. One guy in particular on the course was a VIP, a very important person, who worked as a top-level director for a German car manufacturer. He was a really important client, this imposing German guy. So I worked very hard on the course with very little preparation time. We worked in class for six hours a day. I listened, helped, recommended, prepared specialist vocabulary, facilitated, set up role plays, dealt with grammar, pronunciation, feedback. I went the extra mile, I bent over backwards, and I believed, and I believe I delivered a very good course in the end. It helped that the participants were all hard-working professionals themselves who were able to concentrate and see the benefit of what we were doing. But I felt pretty pleased with myself, especially after the stress I'd felt at the start of the week. The group gave me very good feedback and the VIP even told my boss that he thought I was the best teacher he'd ever had. Wow, I felt great. I'm a fantastic teacher, I thought. At 5.30pm that Friday, my boss told me about the course I'd be teaching starting on Monday after the weekend. It was a group of about 10 young professionals here to study business English before finishing their degrees or finding a postgraduate job. They were all in their early, 90- they were all in their early 20s with very little business experience. I thought to myself, ah, no problem. I'm the best teacher in the world. I'll just do my thing. I'll be like some kind of business English guru for them. After the tough week I've had, this will just be a walk in the park. It was hubris, pride before a fall. A number of factors led to this being one of my most difficult courses. Some of it was my fault, some of it the fault of my students, and some of it the fault of just factors out of my control. So, what were those reasons? Let me first tell you what went wrong and then the reasons why it happened, and then what I learned from the experience. So, the class was going to be a combination of students from two already existing classes and a new person. So, some of them came from a business class, others came from a very difficult legal English course, and one girl was new in the school that Monday. The business class was the same course as this one, so for them... It was a continuation of their normal class, the same room, the same programme, but with a new teacher and other new people coming into their room. The law class were exhausted and fed up from doing so much work on their previous course. They'd been doing loads of writing, role plays and exam practice, finishing with a very, very tough legal English exam. They were not in the mood to do any work. In fact, it was their last week before going home. These two groups were like buddies, really, two groups of buddies, and they didn't really mix. Also, they had no real reason to mix because they knew in two weeks it would all be over and that they'd be going home. It's kind of like everyone had just given up making any effort. Then there was the new girl who entered in the middle of this bad atmosphere. I don't know if it was her or the atmosphere of the situation she joined, but she behaved in just a really bad way, being rude from the beginning, lots of attitude, not willing to work, challenging things, answering over me, flirting with me, making me feel uncomfortable, and kind of spoiling activities in class. 
I expected the others to kind of take to her quite badly, as she was basically poisoning the class. However, they all seemed to like her and kind of let her get away with it, as if it justified the fact that they didn't have to do any work. At the same time, though, I was sure that they would all be pissed off about the fact that they weren't really achieving anything in our classes. It turns out that they saw me as the reason for that, not her or their weird behaviour. This new girl was quite a bullying influence in the room, and I suspect that others didn't like her but were not really willing to step in and stop it. It was also a class full of women, except for one quiet Korean guy who left after the first week. So there was a kind of odd tension, and the usual working friendship between the students that develops after a few hours hadn't developed. In fact, I found it very hard to get the first lesson really underway at all. After an hour or so, I realised that we had really managed to achieve almost nothing. I hadn't put the students under pressure enough, we hadn't really done any challenging grammar work or vocabulary development, and they hadn't really been activated they hadn't really been activated with a task and I could definitely sense trouble. People were not getting involved, some seemed to be frustratingly impatient while others were wasting time. I asked them to make short presentations about themselves involving standing up and talking for five minutes each. Normally I write down all the mistakes they make and then give them all individual language feedback and ask them to ask each other questions after each presentation. This allows the class to get to know each other, put their English on display, give me a chance to work out their language needs, bond them together by putting them, putting them through a little challenge, and to immediately give them some very direct help by correcting their errors. The presentations all just fell flat, with the speakers just grinding to a halt after a few minutes while I attempted to encourage others to ask more questions. They just didn't seem interested in each other, and I was not able to write down any meaningful language feedback. All I could write on the board was a few obvious and easily corrected errors. No impact at all. Instead, I just got the sense that each person was making a terribly bad first impression on the others, with no sense of rapport developing at all. It was like my plan just fell it's, it was like my plan didn't just fall flat, but sent the class in the opposite direction. At one point, a presentation ended up in a conversation between two of the girls about a very sensitive ethnic and political topic involving a nation of refugees and a conflict over a land border between two countries. It was a very divisive and controversial topic and a personal one because one of the girls was from that region of the world. I could feel other members of the class bristling over the direction it took. When I intervened to get the girls back on topic, they seemed personally offended that I'd stopped them talking about it. Everything just seemed to be going wrong. All the usual signs were there. These are the, the signs that things are not going well. For example, you give them a short task to do in pairs, the idea being that they communicate in English while also doing a language or skills task, and they just ignore their partners completely and sit in silence. You ask the class to do an exercise, but one of them doesn't do the exercise and instead sits there trying to make eye contact with you because they're not happy about something. Then when you ask if everything is okay, 
They don't mention anything, but moodily just start the exercise. While doing feedback on the exercise, someone sighs very loudly at an inappropriate moment, perhaps while someone else is talking. Uh, to sigh is to go... <sighs> so if you imagine you're doing feedback on an exercise you've just done, one person's giving their answer, and another person just goes... <sighs> right? Um, so... Um, yeah, so the exercises I gave them just didn't just seem to die in the air. Usually a class will feed on something and build it into something bigger, but that didn't happen. I felt like a fool, as nothing I said seemed to have any value to them at all. Things I wrote on the board seemed badly written, uninsightful and unhelpful. It was like teaching underwater. The air was thick. You could cut the atmosphere with a knife. The distance between me and the students seemed to be vast. I'd taught plenty of classes in that room before, and I liked it because it had a comfy, warm and almost intimate atmosphere. This time, it was like a cold hospital ward. Students would often come in late, or just not come back after lunch. I decided I had to put my foot down. When the difficult girl arrived late, I asked her, "'Why are you late?' And she gave me a bad excuse, like, oh, I, I slept through my alarm clock. And then instead of acknowledging that she should be in class on time, because arriving late disturbs the class, she doesn't know what's going on, we waste time and lose concentration as everything has to be explained, she just kind of challenged me over it and it became an awkward conflict which she felt like she had to win. I felt like some of these students had been to business school and not really had much other experience, and they just learned that you must negotiate everything. Don't, take, don't make any concessions and analyse anyone in authority for leadership skills. If I didn't fit their Jack Welsh or Jeff Bezos model for leadership, then I wasn't worth anything. So they felt like they had to kind of challenge and negotiate everything without even really thinking about what they were negotiating or challenging. They'd just been taught that you... You know, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. So maybe they expected me to be some kind of hard-nosed businessman negotiating every single um, uh, interaction with them. But that's just not the way it works. Then I heard from another teacher, in fact the one who had been teaching that class before me, a really charismatic older guy with lots of experience. So I heard from him that some of my students weren't happy and that they missed his class. They said that my class was terrible and that they weren't happy. Oh no, bad news for Luke. I decided that I would really put my foot down and straighten the class out. After lunch, I, had a, I kind of had a go at them for being late and for not taking part properly. I hate doing that in class. I absolutely hate it because I'm not good at it. Well, I'm better now because I'm older, but then I was younger and I was never really good at being tough. It's just not in my character. If I get angry or tough, it shows on my face, and I don't seem strong. I just seem upset and weaker. I don't get confrontational or strict generally, and so it's weird to do it. I guess they didn't buy what I was saying because it didn't make a difference. In fact, I, I suspect it caused them to lose confidence in me. Again, the absolute reverse of what I had hoped to achieve actually happened. I wanted to put my foot down, and I just ended up putting my foot in my mouth. The next day, 
Two of them were late for class, and I closed the door, leaving a note which said that they couldn't come in. These were two girls from the law course. They were young lawyers. I should have known better than to leave a handwritten note for a couple of lawyers telling them that they couldn't do something. Of course, they took it really badly. During the break, a teacher told me that two of my students were really angry with me. Wow, this was a nightmare. This never happens to me. Usually the opposite, if anything. So I went to see them and they were really upset, saying that they had had to do something in town and had rushed back to be on time only to find my rude note. They, consider my, they considered my actions to be very inappropriate. They were not happy. I had to try and keep my head up and stay confident and consistent. So I maintained that it was important that they come in to class on time. Although I didn't mean to offend them with my note, I was just trying to impose some rules and structure. My explanation mildly improved things, but the damage had been done. In the last session of that day, while waiting for other students to arrive after break, two of the girls told me that they thought the course was going badly and that the classes were no good. At first, I was kind of glad that someone else was on my side and I wasn't alone. Then I realised that they held me responsible rather than the other members of this class. It was my fault that the class was going badly. They probably thought that this was how things normally were with me. They didn't know me, so they didn't know any different. They didn't realise that I wasn't such a bad teacher. And this made me really angry. I was so pissed off at this point, and I couldn't help saying, well, this never happens in my courses, before I had to kind of bitterly explain that, yes, I agreed that the class was not good enough, but I couldn't really explain how it was the fault of others. I mentioned it, saying things like, well, it doesn't help that certain members of the class are incapable of attending on time or even taking part properly when they are here. But they didn't really like my tone. Instead, I had to kind of admit that I would do better, as if the class was going wrong because of my lack of effort. I was, I was, exp mm, I was explaining. So I, I felt like I was explaining something to my boss, my teacher, or my parents that I wasn't trying hard enough. Now I do accept that I should have done certain things better and that some of this was my fault, as I will explain in a moment. But I knew that it wasn't all me. The fact is, it was my job to ensure that the, that the class was a... It was my job to ensure that the class was as effective as possible. So in a way... The actions of these people meant that I had to carry the whole circus of this class on my shoulders. The group shifted its collective responsibility over to me. I finished the day completely shattered, with a mind-numbing headache and a massive heavy load on my shoulders. Two of the students complained to my boss, saying that they thought the class was bad and that they, should, that they would write a letter to their agents explaining how awful they thought the school was. Seriously, this was quite unprecedented. It had never happened before. Thankfully, my boss had faith in me, knowing that it wasn't really my fault, but was just one of those courses that goes wrong. He suggested that I do some tutorials with my class, which means to talk to them one-to-one -one and try and resolve any problems. I agreed, and I did that the next day. Of course, the students didn't see the value of it and considered it to be a massive waste of their time. One of them said 
to my face that she thought I was leading the class badly and that the tutorials were a waste of time. The difficult girl I described earlier decided to lock horns with me over everything before forcing me to admit that I had failed to be a strong leader. She completely ran over me with her forceful character. It was like dealing with a bully. I found it ridiculous. Of course, this was the height of rudeness. There would be no need for my strong leadership if she actually behaved like a grown-up. I think it was a trust issue. I expect where she was from, male teachers should be much more dominant, alpha male types. But I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not an alpha male type. I don't believe it's necessary to impose yourself and your ego on everyone in order to be a good teacher. That's all a bit macho and old-fashioned, I think. But I think that's what she and maybe the others needed and expected. She probably needed me to be more of an old-fashioned, strict male teacher. And without that, she couldn't help misbehaving. Ultimately, she was responsible for her behaviour, not me. So I still disagree, and I believe that she was wrong. The The tutorials were not a complete disaster, I learned that some of the students expected certain types of exercise. They didn't like role plays and case studies. They were they were bored of them because of the other courses that, that they had... Start again. Hello. The tutorials were not a complete disaster. I learned that some of the students expected certain types of exercise. They didn't like role plays and case studies. They were bored of them because of the other courses that they'd attended. A couple of them admitted that they thought it was the fault of the school for putting two classes together. She didn't understand why we couldn't run two smaller schools. Uh, She didn't... Sorry. She didn't understand. Start again. Hello. The tutorials were not a complete disaster. I learned that some of the students expected certain types of exercise. They didn't like role plays and case studies. They were bored of them because of the other courses that they'd attended. A couple of them admitted that they thought it was the fault of the school for putting two classes together. She didn't understand why we couldn't run two smaller groups, which would be more more effective. Uh, We just didn't have enough teachers for that, and ultimately the school wasn't going to pay another teacher to come in and take one half of my class. This lifted the pressure from me and onto the school somewhat, but it didn't really improve things much. Unfortunately, Basic economics are something that regularly has an impact on classes. Schools can't or don't want to pay for more teachers. The most profitable way would be to have one teacher per 100 students, but obviously that's not possible. What happens is something of a balance between between quality, with fewer students per teacher, and profits, more students per teacher. One sign of a good school is a smaller class Um, The best schools, like, for example, the London School of English, where I worked for six years, managed to keep their class sizes smaller, giving more benefits to teachers, develop specialist courses, and make an extra effort to create a special atmosphere inside the building. So back to the tutorials. I learned that they really wanted boring, challenging, old-fashioned grammar work. What a surprise for a group of young, forward-thinking professionals. They just wanted boring gap fills and mind-numbing grammar explanations with work on writing 
and job interviews. So I did exactly that. I removed fun from the lessons, no pair work, no group interaction, just very controlled language practice followed by quick feedback. It was like an old school exam course. It was like a punishing series of language exercises, all of which had very clear right and wrong answers. It kind of straightened them out. Ironically, one of them complained that it was too difficult, and this is after she'd complained earlier that it was too easy. I found that putting them through boring and difficult work made them bond together more. During breaks, they would be relieved and would chat to each other as they were all going through the same difficult experience together. I'd come back into class after break and I'd find them hanging out and socialising. But when I'd enter the room, they'd all shut up and go back to their desks, like, the fun is over, he's back. My heart sank a little every time this happened, as it always does when you feel like the students don't really like you for some reason. The difficult girl continued to be difficult, but I'd already accepted that she was not going to change and realised that she was just a spoiled daughter of a rich businessman and that no one had ever said no to her in her whole life. She seemed an incredibly sheltered and naive person who couldn't really operate in the real world. Then I remembered that she would probably always be rich and successful, as no doubt her father would have some kind of important contacts to help her get a great job in the future. That made me kind of angry too. She had privilege, but no respect for others. I lost respect for her and felt like I shouldn't teach her and I felt like I should teach her a lesson in humility. I didn't really know how to do this, so I generally just didn't give her any rope. I mean, I wasn't patient with her, didn't give her much response or attention. After that, she didn't really bother me so much anymore. Once she made a rude comment and I couldn't help but laugh. I just laughed at her. And this was a great moment because I wasn't hurt by her comment. I just found it ridiculous. I felt that the others sensed this and had become tired of her bullshit too. It was like her value or influence in the class had dropped. After that, she stopped attending. She didn't attend the last day, but came in at the end to leave a note on my desk. And the note said, Thank you for being my English teacher. I'm really glad I met you. Now that was surprising, because she spent two weeks acting like she hated me, caused all kinds of difficulty, didn't attend a lot of classes, and then leaves me that note. And to be honest, I'm still scratching my head, trying to work out what was going on. In the end, I managed to get a grip on the course. But the first week was a write-off. It was horrible. Every day I stayed at school late, trying to prepare for the next day. Then I would go home with a strong headache, not wanting to eat any dinner. A couple of times I had to walk home to clear my head. It was a dread-filled week, and I often remember it and try to avoid similar experiences. So what were the causes? Certainly I was just unlucky with the students. It was just a mix of bad personalities, perhaps. Well, I'm sure that they didn't think so. In fact, I expect everyone involved believed they were not to blame, but were the innocent victim of the situation. Ultimately, I don't think anyone really wanted to be in that room together. I ended up being the victim of that because I was the guy telling them that they had to be in the class together. I just became their scapegoat. The time of the year was a factor. 
It was dark and cold. England must have seemed like a rubbish place to be for them in those conditions. Um, there is a feeling in the middle of winter in England when you haven't seen the sun for a couple of months and you just feel tired and depressed. It's called seasonal affective disorder. Sometimes it hits the students for six because they're just not expecting it. Everyone was just waiting to go home for their Christmas holidays, so they weren't motivated. The class were all women, and this can be difficult. For some reason, women like to have some men in the class to give some balance, I think. Either that, or just women with a woman teacher would be better. Then they can all relax just as a group of women. Otherwise, it becomes kind of weird. I can't explain that, but as I've said before, if the women aren't happy, then no one is happy. Putting together two groups to make one doesn't always work, and it can make the school look a bit cheap, like it's saving money on rooms and teachers. Also, the two groups had already bonded and didn't really expect to be thrown into one group together. I expected the course to be easier because of the previous course. This meant that I had a false sense of security. I probably didn't try hard enough on day one or make it difficult enough for the students. I expected things to just work, but I hadn't thought about it or planned carefully enough. I probably wasn't as well prepared or tightly organised as I had been on the previous course. I didn't dress very smartly. Looking back on it now, I wore jeans and a pair of slightly scruffy brown shoes. The girls were very chic and well presented. Compared to them, I just looked like a student. I should have worn a suit on day one. Maybe there was some kind of sexual tension there as well. I can't tell really, but sometimes bad behaviour is a kind of flirtation, and girls sometimes are very rude to a guy as a way of, as as some kind of come on. This might explain the letter which was left for me. I don't know. It could be culture shock. I've explained before how culture shock can manifest itself in the sense that the culture you're in is just ridiculous or wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if these students were kind of unimpressed by London in the winter time, and couldn't help feeling some contempt for us. I was just another annoying English person. Certainly, at times, I had to listen to them going through the usual complaints about the UK. You know, the food is bad, the weather is bad, it's noisy in London, my accommodation is cold. I don't know why you have two taps in the bathroom. Why do you do everything differently here? Why do you have to drive on the left? And English women are ugly. And this is perhaps the most offensive one that I heard. And English people are stupid because they go jogging on the pavement in the city. All things that I heard in that、uh, class. Maybe they were just expressing culture shock. Perhaps there was also some culture shock between them, because there was quite a mix of nationalities. Also, them coming late prevented me from starting classes properly. Instead, I must have just looked unprepared and vague while I waited for everyone to arrive. It's funny to me how I could go from one week of being the greatest teacher in the world to hitting rock bottom in just a matter of days, with students saying it was one of the worst courses they'd experienced. I mean, how does that happen? Now, I've I've just shared one. Bad course I taught, but in my defence, I must say that I have an otherwise very good track record in my classes, with students regularly being very happy with me, often giving me top marks in feedback. Feedback. 
So this course must have been a one-off. I try to think that it was just a combination of bad elements that somehow came together at the same time, causing a bad outcome in my class. I may have been responsible for certain things, like not being strict and dynamic enough at the beginning or showing strong leadership or choosing the right language to teach them, but some of the students too were definitely responsible for taking part in a very poor manner. Ultimately, I was just very glad to have finished the class. It was like going through a painful series of challenges. Every day gave me a new headache. My colleagues were worried about me. I couldn't enjoy myself all week because of worrying what to do with these students. At the end, the students did thank me. One of them in particular came up to me in the pub that Friday night and privately said thank you very much for your effort during the week. I think ultimately they saw that it wasn't all my fault and that I was working very hard. I still have the note that the difficult girl gave to me. Sometimes I see it, and it reminds me of that difficult week. So what did I learn? Well, I learned that you should never get too happy or pleased with yourself. If you think you're doing a great job, there's probably something you're forgetting about that you're doing wrong. Pride comes before a fall. When things go badly, don't feel too bad because it's not all your fault. But equally, when things go well, don't be too proud of yourself because it's not always because of you. You should be well presented, make a good first impression. Impose rules on younger learners early. Treat younger learners more like adults, though, or they will act like children. Remember that time is money. Make lessons challenging at all times. It's hard to say what else I learned from this other than the ability to just be a bit tougher. It just toughened me up a little bit more. I just approached lessons in the future with more experience behind me and students could sense that I was more experienced and then, and then felt safer in my class. Now I'm less nervous before lessons. I feel like I've experienced enough difficult moments not to be shocked. Also, doing stand-up comedy helps with uh, performance and confidence. But really, it's been teaching that has prepared me the most. Despite these stories, I've definitely had more good experiences than bad. Some of my classes have genuinely been amazing, and I've met so many interesting and lovely people. If you are one of those lovely people who I've met, then hello. To everyone I've ever met through this job, I would like to say hello and thank you for contributing to my learning process as a teacher. To all my fellow teachers out there, I know how you feel. Keep your chin up. To all the learners of English, keep your chins up too. I know how you feel as well now because of my experiences of learning French. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember, you can read a transcript of this on teacherluke.podomatic.com or teacherluke.wordpress.com where you can also find links to iTunes, Facebook and YouTube. And you can also make those very special and important donations as little as one pound if you like or more it's up to you also you may have noticed some idioms in this episode i've made a list of the idioms i used and i will ex i will be explaining them in the next episode also i use loads of other nice pieces of vocabulary common expressions descriptive words and collocations throughout this episode i suggest that you listen a couple of times or listen again while reading the transcript and pick out any expressions that you like and that you could use yourselves. Don't forget to leave your comments on this episode either at Podomatic or WordPress. 
when I move it there eventually. Thanks again for listening to this uh, extremely long episode of Luke's English Podcast, which may, in the end, become two separate parts. Thanks again for listening, and good luck with your English, and take care. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.